we are here to seek the Lord together. To join together to seek the Lord together. It is not one man that seeks the Lord. It is all of us in this boat that needs to seek the Lord together. So we are going to do just that. Um, and uh, there's something that's been heavy on my heart. Heavy on my heart. Through reading through Ephesians, it's this. What is your story? What is your story? We all have a story in life. Now, there's things that will happen in your life that will impact certain parts of your story. People that will come into your life that will change your story up. Things that you do that will change your, the direction that your story goes into. And you also might be thinking, well, I haven't really done anything that important. My story is probably like two pages long. No, no, no. If God gave you breath on this earth, you have a story. So I want you all to write down this right now. What is my story? What is my story? And as we seek the word together, I want you to reflect on that phrase. What is my story? And just reflect on that. But let's get into Scripture and see what the Lord has in store for us. I'm going to pray over Scripture now. Dear Heavenly Father, as we seek your word together, may you open up our minds and hearts to your truth, to your goodness, and to who you are. I just pray for if it's someone that's been a Christian for 50 years, you just refresh their minds and heart, or if it's somebody wandering in the wilderness alone, may you open their heart to you, Father. May your glory be had on this day. Amen. Amen. Let's get into it. Let's stop messing around. Verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. The Spirit is now working within the disobedient. Let's start with those two first verses. And let's talk about your story. The beginning of your story. The very start. You're dead. <laughs> we're all dead. We were dead. Oh, that's a joyful story. But it's true. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. If you're thinking to yourself, uh, I feel pretty alive. Like pinching yourself. Yep, yep, yep. I feel that. I feel pretty alive. Then we're having a confusion of what Paul's talking about when he means dead. Now, he's not talking about you're not going to wake up and enjoy a nice bowl of cereal. You're not going to go to work. That's not the kind of dead we're talking about. Paul's talking about spiritual death, which is far worse than bodily death. That because we have trespassed God's goodness and we've sinned against God, you're spiritually dead and your trespasses. Ugh. That could be a hard thing to hear. But what Paul's saying is that if we trespass God's holiness and his righteousness and sin against his divine purpose on your life, because of that, we became dead in our soul. And we also see this strict divide as well between God's goodness and sinfulness. Because we can get this mindset of like, God, I only like lied to my, I lied to my mom when I was eight about eating a piece of candy. Does that really mean I'm going to be dead? Or maybe, hey, I just stole a bag of chips when I was 15. How does that declare me dead? I've been good the whole time. Here's how good God is. That God is so perfectly good and so perfectly righteous that it is impossible to be perfectly good and perfectly righteous and to be able to have this some kind of gray area. There's no gray area on God's righteousness. Amen? There's good 
and there's evil. The reason why the second we sin, the second we trespass against God's purpose on our life, we are spiritually dead because God is all good, doesn't have an ounce of bad in him, doesn't have an ounce of evil in him. So if he allowed us to have some gray air and still be alive, that would affect and impact how good he is and how righteous he is. And you could be thinking to yourself, wow, that seems like a pretty harsh God. He must not love me. No, he does love you. But he loves righteousness and holiness. And if he's not those things, then we have no foundation in our God. His goodness and righteousness and holiness will not be waived by the world. By the way of our trespasses, those will not be impacted. Because he's perfectly good. Perfectly righteous. And he has to be. Because if not, who do we go to? If he has a gray area, then we can have a gray area. No, no, no. There's good and there's evil. And uh, from there, we see ourselves once with God as he created us. He put breath in your life. He knew you before even your parents knew you. And now we see ourselves being extracted from God. Just as Adam and Eve, right? Taken out of the garden. They were aware of who they were now. They were aware of their sin. They were scared. But before they were in the Garden of Eden and the closeness of God. And they were rejoicing. They were having fun. There was no bad until they decided to do things their way. Until they decided that they didn't want to listen to God anymore. And what happened? Can someone tell me who affected Adam and Eve? Who told Adam and Eve about that fruit? Satan. So we went away from God, and Satan got his way. So what does that make us? It makes us under the rule of the world, according to us. The ruler, the power, the prince of the air. As Scripture says these things, of the world. Let's be mindful that that, what he's talking about in Scripture, is Satan himself. We corrupted the world with our sin. So God doesn't want dominion over that anymore. He can affect things. He has authority over things, of course. He has authority over Satan. But he gave dominion over the world to Satan because he knew that this world that we live in now is corrupted. And this will not be a reflection of his domain. His domain is heaven above. So when we see that we previously live according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the disobedient, we see that the second we go away from God's goodness, from his love and his mercy, we are now extracted and we are living within the world. You know, God's way is good. But when the flesh starts to tell us that this way is too hard, God's, God, God, give me a little leave away. Come on, I can lie a little bit. I can steal a little bit. But where does it end? It's not the thing that you do. It's not the amount of, of drugs you take or the amount of lying that you do or the amount of, of, of hurt that you do to people. It's the pure fact that you went away from God's goodness. And that's why we're extracted. God doesn't mess around with his goodness and holiness. So if we go against that, we are out of the kingdom of God and into the ways of the world. 
And not only do we allow our sins to distract us from God, but we are now allowing evil spirits to work in our souls and lives. You know, it's one thing to turn your back from God. But the second you do that, now evil spirits are going to be attacking us. They're going to be invading our house. They're going to be looking at every aspect of our lives, trying to destroy it. I just lied a little. Evil spirits are chomping at the bit to destroy your life. Satan has got a watery mouth that he wants to destroy your mouth, destroy your life so bad. He wants every part of your life to be destroyed. So he's just waiting for that time when we try to be pleasing to our flesh, to be pleasing to the world, that we live life not according to God's but our own. And the second we do that, Satan is ready to pounce. So not only are we extracted, but now we're allowing evil spirits into our own being. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want no evil spirits in me. No, thank you. I rebuke it. But it just shows you in all of this, the harshness of going against God's goodness. And I could say that for 80 years, and it'll still be just as good. God's goodness is what we need for a rich life. But going away from that is what's going to destroy our life. And we see ourselves dead, our spirits dead, and now we're walking in the wilderness. Now we're walking among the world, trying to please the world, trying to make decisions that the world wants us to make. Is that where we want to be? Having the world decide who we're going to be? We want the world to decide how we're going to live. And as we see here, we too all, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature under children of wrath, as the others were also. One of the deepest ways Satan attacks our soul is by creating this theory that we have to do whatever we need to do to be happy. Hey, just do what you got to do to be happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Don't, don't worry about going to work. Don't, don't worry about going home to your wife. You got to be happy. You be happy. Because if you're not happy, what's the point of living at all? And, you know, for thousands of generations, we served this powerful and destructive king called self-pleasure. Oh, what a mighty king that is to the flesh, right? And we've been brainwashed that we don't allow, if we don't allow ourselves time to enjoy our fleshly pleasures, then we're being robbed of joy. That we're not giving a chance to be ourselves, to enjoy what we want to enjoy. Now, it's important to take care of yourself, Yes. But what Satan wants to turn that into is it's okay to spend time away from God to please yourself. We're taking self-care, which is important. Take care of your body. Take care of your mind. But be careful how you do it. Be mindful of the avenues you take to take care of yourself. Because in all things with our walk with Christ and our walk with God, Satan is, wants us to go to the other route compared to the other. He wants us to go away from God, right? So if we want to take care of ourselves, oh yeah, I want to, I want to spend some time in the Word and, and really take care of my, my spiritual, uh, spiritual walk and my mind, 
But then you uh, see that notification, oh, a new YouTube video. Oh, maybe, maybe I'll just watch one YouTube video, and then I'll get to Scripture. Okay, okay, two more videos, and then I'll get to Scripture. Okay, it's midnight. I lost my time with the Lord. I took the theory of taking care of myself, which is meant to find rest in the Lord, and I went my route. The world is so enticing for you to find self-pleasure in the world and not of God. And right there is when the world is going to attack. Right there is when Satan is goes, yes, got him. YouTube shorts, here you come. A video how to pull an engine out of a, a minivan, come my way. Whatever it is in your life, I think you know what that is. That thing that keeps you away from the world. See, we, we try to have this theory that, oh, I like to watch YouTube because it gets me out of the world a little bit. I like to go in my shed and build stuff all day because it gets me out of the world a little bit. It doesn't get you out of the world. It gets, it gets you deeper in the world. Because every second we separate ourselves from taking care of ourselves by resting in the Lord, we find ourselves getting deeper in the ways of the world. You know, Satan's main goal isn't for people to be Satanist. Now think about that. Let me explain. Satan's main goal isn't for people to be Satanists. Satan's main goal is for you to not spend time with God. Whatever that looks like. Yeah, you can be a Satanist. You can be this or that. You can be an atheist. It's all the same to, the sa it's all the same to Satan because all he cares about is you not going to the Lord for rescue and for refuge. Why do you think Christianity is the most hated religion in the world? Why do you think Christianity is being separated in schools, but other religions are okay? Why do you think Christianity is so hated on Facebook and other social media? It's because it's true. It's because it's true. It's true salvation. It's true rescue. And Satan doesn't want that. He wants you to learn about all these other religions that can save you. And you know, I know that could be a harsh thing to say, but it's the truth. And if that sounds hurtful, I'm sorry, but I'm not really that sorry. Because truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. Do you really want the world to decide how we should be, what's good and evil? If you want the world to decide what's good and evil by them saying, well, it makes me feel good, then you can't go tell the person that murdered a whole school that he's bad made him feel good. We need to know the destruction that comes when we follow our own fleshly desires, and when we follow the world, when we follow the ultimate plan that Satan has for us, which means ultimate destruction for your entire life. And I, I'm just wondering, why does Satan want us so bad? Why is he so steadfast on destroying our lives. Well, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says this. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. In the visions of Revelation, he sees that Satan's getting thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented forever 
So what does Satan want with us? He wants to take you with him. He already knows where he's going. He already knows what it meant when he turned his back on God. So does he want to change? Too late. He wants to take us with him. And even if we have a room full of believers here, I praise God for that. But what does that mean for our kids? And our kids' kids? Every person that walks on this earth, he wants to take with him. Because he knows where he's headed. So his main goal is to grab every person he can on the way down. So are we going to allow him to hold on to us and bring him down? Are we going to go down with him? This is what the world brings. This is what going away from God brings. A lake of fire, tormented forever and ever. I do not want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for your kids' kids. So we see ourselves dead in the world, no hope. And this is the beginning of everyone's story. For no one man is perfect. We've all sinned. So we have all been dead in our trespasses and sins. This is all of our stories at the very beginning. We were dead in the Spirit. We had no hope. We had nothing to look forward to. Everything was bleak and everything was under absolute wrath. Here's something Satan also knows. That when we go away from God, we are now under wrath from God. Remember, God's goodness, God's righteousness cannot be waived. It will not be tempered with. And he is a wrathful God. The things that we do, he will not stand for. And one day, he is coming to bring justice. God's wrath is among us. So now we got, we're dead in our soul. We're living by the flesh. We're hurting other people. We don't know how to get out. Now we have wrath among us. What's the point of even living? What's the point of even waking up in the morning and going outside? What's the point of even coming here today? The next two words are the most trans... More, oh, more, I'm getting too excited right now. The next two words are two words that can transform your life for good. But God. Amen. But God. Yeah, you were dead in your soul. Yes, your trespasses made you dead in your soul. Yes, you deserve God's wrath. But God. Those two words can save your life. But God. You know, it's so funny to think about. You're, you know, you're in court and the judge is, yes, you got a thousand counts of lying, a thousand counts of murder, a thousand counts of stealing, and a thousand counts of being mean to your wife. Yet you definitely deserve wrath. What's your defense? And then you just stand there and go, um, <clears throat> uh, but God? <laughs> Checks out for me. You're on your way. You're free. What? How does that make sense? Because God is different than anything you can ever witness in life, anything you can ever encounter in life. We're ripped away from God because of our sin. We're living according to the world that is ruled by selfish and a destructive prince, and we're by nature under a swift and intense wrath that is among us. But God. But let's see why. 
but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. Let's look at this love. 1 Corinthians 13 says this about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongdoings. Love finds no joy in the unrighteous, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Three things will stand the test of time. Faith, hope, and love. No matter how shaken the world gets, God's love will always remain there. When it comes to receiving this type of love, we must first understand how much we desperately need this love on a daily basis. God saw where you were heading. He knew that you were under the rule of the world. But his love was able to produce something greater than sin itself. His rich mercy. His rich mercy. But he knew that his justice and righteousness could not be tampered with, as we said. In order to bring mercy to the fallen, that wrath penalty had to be paid. The great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. Come on! You were saved by grace. You were dead in your trespasses, dead in your sin. You had no hope. And God knew that he loved you. He knew that he created you for a reason. He knew that he could transform your life. But he also knew that his goodness and righteousness cannot be tampered with. He knew that the wrath penalty, your death penalty, had to be paid. So what, did he just forgive you? He forgave you in a special way. He sent his only son to die on that cross just to make you alive again. To bring your spirit back to health. To bring your spirit alive again in Christ. If that's not love, I don't know what is. That's going to be preached from the time this world gets destructed for good. Because that's the thing we need to hang on with all of our might. That God's grace came to us through Christ Jesus. And the sacrifice he did on us for us on the cross. That, you know, I can't even speak that well. I mumble all the time. I mess up words. But any one of us that knows that Jesus died on that cross for us, 
knows that we can share that to whoever. It's because it's the Spirit that does the heavy lifting to transform people into the knowledge that Jesus is the grace for our lives. What is grace? Grace is there for the times that we can't keep the law of God good anymore. Grace is there when we're mean to our wife. Sorry, babe. Grace is there is when we lie, when we steal, when we go into the world. It's the thing that connects us back into the, the arms of God. But here's the thing that you need to know right in this moment is that you have to accept that you are dead in your soul. You have to accept that you need a Savior. And you have to receive that Savior. He's given you everything right in front of you. But are you going to partake in it? You know, when I was 17, I remember having this thought of, oh no, I'm going to die one day. I'm not immortal. When you're like, when you're 16, 17, you could run through a brick wall if you wanted to. But I just remember thinking, I'm going to die one day. My parents are going to die one day. And the older I got, it didn't get easier for me. I just became numb to that feeling. I just tried shoving that thought deeper and deeper down so that I didn't have to feel it anymore. But we all know that doesn't fix things. We all know that's not what transformation is. That's a Band-Aid, but you're not doing anything to the wound that's wide open. I knew and I felt that something horrible is going to happen to me that I am doomed. In that moment, I felt the true nature of my sin and where I was headed. And I felt this for years. You know, I had some, I had some good days. But at least once a day, I knew death was around the corner. This because I was being shown how helpless I am in my own flesh. Of no matter what I do, if it's all from Austin's flesh, I am hopeless. I am doomed to death. You know, I lived another five years trying to live a normal life and being kind and loving to people. And, you know, people always said to me, you know, you know, Austin, even before you were saved, you were always a really nice guy. You were always nice to me. I don't see where you were that bad. That's because I wasn't being nice to people because I loved them. I was trying to be nice to people so they would love me. I was being nice to people because I thought if I did a bunch of really good things that my death penalty would go away. If I did a bunch of really kind things to people, that would be the reason I get into heaven. What did we just read? By grace, you were saved. Did it say by a bunch of good things you did? No. Did it say by coming to church every Sunday? Which that is good. But that is still not the thing that saves you. It's by God's grace that you are saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So now, if we are saved by grace, if we say, hallelujah, yes, I will accept Jesus, not only is our souls taken care of, but we are now seated in heaven. Even though our bodies on earth our souls are seated in heaven. So what does that mean for Satan? He cannot touch us any longer. 
He can, he's going to attack you. Oh, yeah, he's going to attack you. He's going to bring temptation to your life. He's going to want to affect your body, affect your mind. But if you truly have given your life to Christ, your soul is in heaven. And he has no domain in heaven. Only God controls everything that happens in heaven. So if you've been saved, why are we still here? I had that first thought the month after I got saved and I started getting tempted. Uh, why am I still here? I gave my life to Christ. I believe in him. He died for me. Hallelujah. Why am I still being affected by the world? Why is the world still attacking me? He wants you to be a soldier on the ground to show his immeasurable gifts and kindness through you that has came from Jesus Christ. You know, I, real quick, this is coming to my, my mind. Everyone uh, flip to Genesis 28 for me. We went from one side to the other, didn't we? So we're going to start at uh, verse 11. And this is talking about Jacob and his dream. So let's hear about this. Jacob reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place and put it there at his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky. And God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Yes, if you believe in Jesus, you are saved. But now, it's time for Jesus to be shown through you. Not just to one person. We have to go into every direction and share what Jesus has done in our lives. North, east, west, south, wherever it might be. A neighbor right next to you or a neighbor 50 miles. When God calls, we go and share what God has done for us and the promise he has for our lives. That if we pick up our cross and follow the son that was sent for us, we will be saved by grace through our faith. God is not done with you after you give your life to Christ. In fact, he's just getting started with you. This is just the beginning of a new life, of a new spiritual walk. You are going to see things that you couldn't imagine of seeing. And as, as Ephesians 10 says, that we are his workmanship, that he has prepared you for good works, that he has prepared for you ahead of time. God has huge plans for you. He has unbelievable plans that you won't even imagine. 
like seeing some students that were nervous coming up and singing or pass around an offering plate or sharing their testimonies. If you were to ask the Austin that was starting to get hooked on drugs and lying and living of the flesh, if you would have told me I would be seeing things like that at this age, no way. But it's only through God's grace, not Austin's, God's grace that makes things like that happen. That makes your story transform into something new. Now, we have a lot more Ephesians to go over, but I just feel the Holy Spirit just wants me to end with this. In the second part of Ephesians, it says that you were once too divided by hostility. And because of your faith, Christ wants to make you into one. So remember what you wrote down. What is my story? We could say, I was born in Waynesboro, Virginia. I played drums when I was six. I did this and that. But I don't believe that's what Christ is asking us. When someone asks us, what is your story? Who are you? What is your story? I believe because we are one in Christ, we are supposed to stand there and be a living testimony of what Jesus has done in our life. The story of my life is no longer Austin McClanahan. It is Jesus Christ that has came and shared his blood on the cross so that I can be saved. And by his grace, I can be led into the heavens. And I can lead so many others because that God is not done with this world until he says he's done. He is not done with the people on earth until he says he's done. He is not done with you until he says he's done. So when people say, what is your story? You say, I am one. I I am with one that the one that took on the cross and was resurrected three days. I am with the one that split the Red Sea. I am with the one that rose Lazarus from the dead. I am the one, I am with the one that calmed the lion's den because Jesus is in me. And I live my life for Christ. That is my story. Don't worry about Austin. Yeah. Give a shout of praise to the Father. And look, I messed up a ton of words there. But here's the thing. When you fully commit to your story being reflected to Jesus, people will hear, and their hearts will fill the truth. So right now I'm going to ask the worship team back up. We are going to pray. But when we were playing this song, this altar is open. If you need a refreshing of your story, or maybe you need to start a new story right today. It's time to make those dry bones come alive. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your rich grace and your rich mercy. Father, as we stand here, just floored by who you are and what you've done for us, Jesus, may you make it true that your grace is sufficient for a new life, for a new story. I pray for anyone here that is shaking and wondering what their story might end up being. I pray that you show them if they follow you, you can write the rest of their story. That you can be their story. And Father, may you end their suffering and their sin and their trespasses. And may they find a new life in you. Whether it's to be refreshed or to be made new right in this moment, Holy Spirit, work right in this moment, Father. Do what you do best, O oh God. We pray these things in your heavenly name. Amen.